everybody and welcome in to season two of the mls bench podcast it's been a while but welcome back i am joey with me today um as they were last season and hopefully for the rest of this season at least matt and andres uh so happy to talk with you wonderful gentlemen once again as we embark on yet another season of mls action and because it's been so long because it's been you know two to three months since we last talked um a whole bunch has happened. A whole World Cup has happened uh, since we last talked. And so I think we have to take this episode, or at least a very, very large chunk of it, to go over the big picture. What's happened in the league as a whole uh, since we last talked. Um, and I do want to just touch back in with uh, YouTube because it has been so long. So Matt, how's it going? Um, excited to talk to you for another season. And you know, what are you excited about as we embark on you know this season long journey yeah good to be back Joe. good to good to be talking with you guys again uh this season is going to be real really interesting i think that what we've you know starting to see from on the field stuff last season is that we're starting to get some real real development of team identities and what they're trying to do and so i'm really looking forward to seeing what some of those teams like you know nashville moving back east uh what la is going to be like with uh Pouge for a whole season potentially Stuff like that, I'm I'm really really excited about, and then uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about uh, what we're going to see from the the production side of things. What with the the new Apple deal, that's going to be uh, certainly a change at very least. So yeah, there's it's it's good to be back and talking MLS and going through all kinds of crazy stories to get prepped for all this. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, so many transfers. Um... And obviously that big Apple deal hangs over things. So Andres, how are you doing? Um, and then, you know, do you want to touch a little bit on that Apple deal as we kind of segue into our first main topic of the year and the one that's kind of hung over the off season? How are you doing, Andres? Yeah. So first of all, good to be good to be back. It's been been a couple of months since we last talked uh, right after MLS Cup uh, final and right before the World Cup. So it's been a little while. Uh, mid uh you know preseason form right now shaking the rust off um but yeah overall uh, ready to get started again ready for for a new season um and just it's been a kind of interesting off season we'll get into some of the details uh but just so much turnover uh especially on, on some of the teams at the top end of the table uh teams like NYCFC which were so stable and and you know really top tier for five or six years completely new team uh we'll talk and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, lafc overhauling a lot of that mls cup winning roster um so it's just it's real interesting and real curious to see how teams look coming out of the gate especially with so many new pieces um that's one of the things i'll be looking forward to uh, seeing at the beginning of the year yeah the apple deal um you know i've had my doubts on it since since we started i think uh, losing the the local broadcasts is going to hurt in the in the fan you know in the areas where where those were, could be seen by the fan bases. Um, I think it's positive that the season ticket holders get them, but I think it's going to be difficult to to attract the uh, the casual fans. Hopefully, the the free to air. I think it's like sixty percent of games will be uh, free or forty percent. I forget which one's which. Uh, free on Apple TV. Hopefully, that catches the eye. Of enough people to get them interested, and for the hardcores, you know, it seems like we're gonna get quite a bit of, of additional content that we didn't get before. Um, hopefully, that makes up for for what we lose on the on the other side. So, um, I'm I think jury's out for me on that. Still, uh, we'll see how how it develops over the next couple of years. Uh, definitely uh, turning the page into a new era, though. Uh, both on the field and and off the field on the production side. So interesting times for sure. Yeah, the second that we get like the MLS hard knocks or or drive to survive stuff, like once MLS really starts to take off that like kind of uh, sheen of professionalism and just lets us see like these players. I want to. I I want the video of Joseph. Flipping the table with chicken and rice. I, I want all of that. Like that's the stuff that I'm really hoping that we're gonna start to get a little glimpse behind the the screen on for 
uh, or through this Apple deal. So yeah, I think you're you're definitely right there, or I'm definitely right there with you, Andres. And you mentioned that like the behind the scenes look and kind of the um, the personalized club content that if you subscribe, you've been looking at uh, the Apple package on you know the Apple TV app um, and what MLS can offer there. You've seen you know some of the team features and stuff. Uh, a, a good point that was made, I think, in the Scuff Discord was that those are produced by the teams themselves and then sent to Apple. And so you may see gulfs in quality between the some of the content produced by Team X or Team Y, and that's because you know, those teams, you know, press departments, those teams, you know, media departments might be at different stages of development or some just might be better than others. So I think that's something that we can look at and um, it'll definitely highlight the clubs that are very interested in making the total package something that can be, you know, enjoyed by the fans and other teams that might just be in it for, you know, let's just get through all the boring stuff and get to the games. I think that'll be just as illuminating as, you know, the Apple side of things itself, uh, some of the the, the team aspects. Uh, But Andres, and I know you've had doubts. This was, you, you expressed them last year too, when we didn't really know a ton about this deal. Between what you you know last shared on air last year, and then you know, kind of what we come into today knowing um, a lot more, some of the broadcasters, the format, um, what what have uh, been some of the changes in, in opinion that you've had as you've seen more details come out? It could be you know, you you could be more positive or more negative about this deal. But what what have been some of the things that you've seen? Yeah, so I think on the on the positive side. I think the uh, the talent that's been announced has been pretty pretty good and pretty positive. A lot of the familiar names, uh, people who care about the league, people who know the league, uh, people who've been following it. Um, so I think that's been that's been positive. I think you're seeing some of the ideas behind you know the whip around show. I think the general content uh, that we're gonna be privy to and accessing, I think is gonna be pretty positive in terms of you know getting the profile of the league and cover and having it covered well, uh, much better than uh, the traditional broadcasters ESPN, Fox, and so on uh, could do or or were willing to do. So on that side, I think that's what we were looking forward to. Um, on the cost side, you know, it's. I understand where it's coming from in terms of I think the price point is 99 for the season or, or 15 a month um, and you get you get the guys on Twitter that say you know for X amount I get all these leagues on Paramount or on ESPN plus and so on um, and yes I think that's a valid argument but you're also looking at a, a comparison with a direct kick um, or you know an NBA all access pass. You're getting no blackouts in the home country, um, and you're getting a ton of additional content. So I'm not sure it's exactly one to one, but I can see it being maybe difficult uh, of a sale, at least at the initial uh, standpoint, for people to say, "Yeah, I'm going to pay $100 just for MLS." Uh, but yeah, you get positives and negatives, right? You get the additional content, but you get that additional cost, which I think is going to hinder a little bit of the growth, at least initially. Yeah, and that's why, like, kind of like you brought up, I think those those free matches. I'm really thinking that they're going to put, you know, the the top of the top as far as that talent that you were talking about onto those matches because that is going to be really the the biggest selling point for this deal and. I, I think that having listened to some of the conversations between MLS and, and um, Apple, uh, obviously it's press releases, so I'm only hearing what they want us to hear, but it was really, really positive that it sounds like MLS is going to actively be the focus for Apple. And I feel like that's going to be, like, I, I understand that that's coming out of, you know, or those production costs are coming out of the deal, so it's not like it's entirely just revenue for the league, but the fact that they're going to push for this, because having looked at, at uh, other, uh, well, you know, we'll leave those um, <laughs> companies nameless, like, seeing what the, the production value is between other prior uh rights holders versus what Apple says that they're going to be doing. I'm optimistic about that. 
Yeah, I'm definitely optimistic. And I think, uh, and something that you mentioned when you were talking about that is kind of the, um, you know, they them only hearing uh, what we want to hear. Uh, but I think, like, I think ultimately, right, this is Apple's first four, right? And, and, you know, smarter business people than me or any of us could probably, you know, give a much better breakdown of this. And I'm sure there's been plenty, but this is Apple's first four, right, into sports. And so if this doesn't work, not only will it look bad for MLS, it'll look really bad for Apple. And it'll be a disincentive for other leagues, more, let's face it, popular leagues like the NFL, like the NBA from ever considering Apple as a, a potential partner. Um, and, and so Apple has a real incentive to try and push MLS uh, as much as possible through all the conventional resources, through the Apple TV app, uh, and, and try and get it, uh, at least from a marketing standpoint, in people's faces, and then make those people have the choice uh, to, to turn around and either watch the games or purchase the pass or... or interact with uh, the content in any way because it will end up being a big win for Apple if they can show that they are worthy of this stage and then, you know, obviously go off and, and start to include more leagues as more leagues deals with linear TV uh, start vanishing. They might look toward a streaming outlet. Apple wants to be that outlet. Uh, and I think it is also, you know, worth pointing out that, yes, I think 40% of the games are going to be uh, free uh, to watch anyone with the Apple TV app, and then all of the MLS's back opening weekend uh, will be free on the app. So, you know, you're getting a good amount of free content, but if you're sickos like us and you're going to break down this league in detail, you need the package, you need the $99 a year. Uh, and so that's going to be the turnoff um, if there is one with this deal. So I think we kind of covered it, and obviously this is going to be a storyline that's going to be popping back in throughout the season as probably you know the league and Apple work through the kinks, and we can probably start comparing it with you know what we had last season and previous seasons. Um, it already sounds like the quality is going to be better. I think it just remains to be seen how much better, and you know does that really make a difference uh, in, in how we watch these games and in the output themselves? So. I think that's good on the Apple deal specifically. I think we can start to touch more on the sporting aspect of it. And I think a, a good place to begin um, this year is with the coaching changes because there have been some expected coaching changes. There have been some unexpected coaching changes. Uh, Matt, I, I guess I'll start with you. What have been some you know, shakeups in the front office or you know, in the technical staff that you've been looking at across the league? Anything that surprised you? I don't know about surprised. Uh, there was one move that I think over the next, you know, next five years is going to be the most impactful, and it's absolutely um, Atlanta signing Garth Lagerway. Garth Lagerway is going to absolutely revolutionize the way that Atlanta builds their teams, in my opinion, because he has come from a team that has not been particularly wasteful with the ownership's money. And then I start to think about what has been happening through Atlanta for the last two years. It's they, they absolutely hit when they signed me or Miggy. They absolutely hit when they signed Joseph, but then you start thinking about the other names and it is a lot more question marks than a team that spends that much money can, can really allow. Um, that's, from a roster build perspective and uh, just a very interesting look on the the actual mechanics of putting a team together, super, super excited about that. And then I start to look towards the, the shifts in Columbus and Montreal. Uh, Columbus, I think, is going to be better nearly automatically because of the fact that they brought in Wilfred Nancy. Uh, and I think that Montreal is going to be worse because they let Nancy go. Um, and so those are two teams that I'm I'm wanting to keep tabs on because of those changes. What are, what what are you guys thinking? I think it's a great point on Garth because we we saw how much of a difference he made in Seattle and we saw how you kind of shocked the Seattle media were when he walked away and went to Atlanta. Um it wasn't something that many people saw coming. Uh especially with Seattle, you know, they just played their Club World Cup, lost in the first game, not much to talk about there. They looked like a preseason team, lost their legs. But Garth moving to Atlanta, you know, months before that game even took place, was a massive surprise to me. I just didn't see that coming. 
the Wilfred Nance thing also was a bit of a surprise to me. And I think more so just because we saw the impact that he made in Montreal, turning them into the second seed, I believe, in the East, um, making it to the uh, the conference semifinals, uh, losing to NYCFC in a valiant performance. Um, I think just really, you know, viewing his impact from afar, it looked like it would have been the smart decision to lock him down and give him essentially what he wants and allow him to build. That's not what happened. He's now in Columbus. Columbus, a team that was an under an underperformer last year, have had some pieces come in and out, but are returning those two bellwethers in Zellerayan and Cucho Hernandez. I think we can really view Nancy now and see, you know, with a squad that might have more, you know, on paper talent even than the Montreal side did, what can he turn that into? Can he make that team better than the sum of its parts? I think he can. I think those are two really, really good moves. Um, and obviously, we'll touch on Atlanta more in depth later. Uh, Loggerway, I think, will be that kind of um, dark horse move that you mentioned, Matt. I think Nancy really on the face, is that that's the big one. Andres, do you want to touch on those two moves uh, specifically? Or because we've just touched on them in great detail, do you want to uh, branch out? Is there something else that you've been seeing, whether it be coaching wise or in the front office and i think you guys hit the i think you guys hit it i think uh for me i'm i'm with matt here i uh i hold garth Loggerway in really high regard in terms of roster building um guys that know how to put together mls rosters you know why regardless of the wider uh you know worldwide game mls with its unique rule structure um it requires some pretty good knowledge of how to uh, to work the roster mechanisms, and uh, Loggerway showed it first in RSL on one of the, the lower budget teams in the league, um, and then he had Seattle uh, competing with the the top top teams uh, throughout his entire tenure there. So, putting him together with a high budget, high spending team, I think it's um, it's a real smart move. On the on behalf of Atlanta, it surprised me uh, that he took it because he's he's spoken so highly of of the community with the Sounders um, and what they were trying to do there to keep up with the likes of City Football Group. Um, but I think that's that's a real shot across the bow to the league. So I'm I'm with Matt there. I think Larger was the big one, um, and Nancy's shown he's been a good coach. Now the track record is a little shorter there. I think he he clearly did a very good job. Uh, with Montreal, I think he took a team that we we thought was pretty decent, but maybe not top three in the East, um, and, and clearly outperformed with them. Uh, but we'll see, you know, top two, year three, if that continues. So far, so good. Uh, but it's 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 more of a promising uh, start to a coaching career in MLS, where I where I think Lagerway has been proving it for for a decade already. Yeah, for sure. No, I, and yeah, I didn't mean to. Uh you know, degrade Loggerway as a, as a team builder. I think he's done a masterful job in Seattle. And, and you mentioned, you know, knowing how to work the rules. That's a big part of what he does. He's also just a really good talent evaluator, right? Picking Christian Rodon, I believe he was undrafted, right? You know, picking players in the draft um, isn't the easiest thing to do. You see a, a lot more busts than booms. And he hit on a couple. He basically all walks of, you know, ways to build a roster, uh, and ways that you can get players in this league. He assembled maybe one of the more diverse rosters uh, in the league and one of the more successful rosters in the league over the span of, you know, four or five years. And, and obviously Seattle going back the the last decade or so has been that kind of dominant team. Loggerway, a massive, massive part of that and a massive part of their CCL success being the first MLS team to get the job done there. So yeah, 100%. And I think he walks into an Atlanta situation now that, you know, on, on, one, on one hand, surprised that, you know, they were able to bring him in. On the other hand, surprised that Carlos Bocanegra still has a job with Atlanta because they haven't been good over the last couple of years. Uh, and I think the moves that you've seen over the offseason have almost been kind of a reset. Signing Derek Etienne, right? That's a, that's a nice signing. Signing Clement Diop, uh, goalkeeper free agent. But, you know, letting Joseph Martinez walk letting Dom Dwyer walk, Marcelino Moreno loaning him out, Alan Franco's gone, right? If you look at the players out, 
the players out the door in Atlanta. That list is much longer and much more stacked than the players they brought in. Andres, do you see this as kind of a clearing of the house for Lagerway to start new? Yeah, I think it's clear that uh, he came in with the intention of moving pieces that don't don't fit, um, which unfortunately for Atlanta, they seem to have done quite a bit of bringing in pieces just based on talent and trying to figure out how they fit together later, um, which didn't always work. I think we were all frustrated watching them, knowing how much talent there was on the field and how it just wasn't coming together. So I think step one for, for Lagerway was basically clearing house of everybody that he thought didn't fit with where he wanted to go forward. Um, and I think they'll they'll put together a roster over the next two or three windows, which more more closely reflect what he wants to do. So it might take a little bit, um, but I think you're right. It's been bold. Um, letting Joseph go, Marcelino Moreno go. Um, like you said, the list of guys out is like twice as long as the list of guys in. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll take a little bit, but it's going to, I think, be a lot more cohesive once it comes together. I, I really question whether it's actually going to take that long, specifically because of how close, or the, the relationship that is probably already there between Lagerway and Gonzalo Pineda. They have that history in Seattle, so they already have a certain idea of how each other like to work. And I think that building on that relationship is going to be an absolute boom for Atlanta moving forward. Yeah, um, I think it remains to be seen, like you said, how quickly they're able to rebuild it. I think it's fair to expect, at least in the next two to three years, a vastly improved squad. Because now you do have that flexibility by, you know... Those high-profile, that means high-money players, getting them out the door and allowing Garth Lagerway to work his magic in Atlanta. That'll be, you know, one of the most pressing stories, I think, this season and next season um, to see what he can turn that team into. Uh, And like you mentioned, seeing, you know, what Seattle becomes now because they don't have that kind of master, uh, you know, doing uh, his magic up in the front office, what what will they become now? I think it's... uh, that remains to be seen and definitely bigger question marks when the Seattle crop of players leaves. I think Atlanta on the other hand is in good hands um, over these next couple years. Uh, Matt, another story that you will want to touch on uh, can be league wide, can be more team specific. I'm really, really fascinated to see we're, we're kind of trying to keep a, a, a minor focus to, to the Eastern conference. And I think that there are probably about, three teams, four teams maybe, who are undergoing some pretty significant rebuilds. And I'm really interested to see which ones are successful because they also are all at... You have everything from DC United, who I believe uh, either let contracts expire, waived, or transferred out, I think, 12 players. Um, And then they've been... Because they've been bad for a minute. You also have NYCFC who have been one of the, if not the, most consistent team in Major League Soccer over the last five years. And so letting the the era of Maxi Morales end, letting Santiago Moreno, or not Santiago Moreno, excuse me, um, Santi Rodriguez go return to, to Brazil, they have some massive, massive questions to fill. They don't have Sean John anymore. There is so much work left to be done on the teams I'm thinking of specifically. DC has has gotten pretty close to what I think is going to be their full group. NYC is not close. Toronto, in my opinion, is not particularly close. Atlanta is not particularly close. There is still so much work to be done before this this, uh, primary transfer window closes. And I'm just very interested to see who... Who do you guys think is actually going to to come good on those necessary changes? Yeah, I think NYCFC is a great one to point out is because, you know, and the Elliot McKinley thing, he always does it. You know, the minutes that have returned from the past year, NYCFC last in the league, barely above 50 percent. You're 50 percent, like half your that's half your minute getters. That's half half your good players out the door. Right. And we talk about that list for Atlanta. You look at the list for NYCFC. Really, the only player that's new that's come in the door that 
they expect, I think, to make a big, big impact would be Matt Freeze, who you would have to assume is going to be the starter now, right? Because he, he sat behind Blake, he's done his time. Now he's uh, now he moves up uh, to NYCFC. You assume he takes uh, the reins as the starting goalkeeper following Sean John's move to Toronto. Um, but Tinnerholm, right? Gideon Zalalem, declined option. Kyan's out the door, back to South America. Santi Rodriguez, out. Acevedo, out. Maxi Morales, gone. Eber, off to Seattle. Played in the, um, in the Club World Cup. So, just look at all of the names, all the massive players for them that are gone out the door. Those are their goal-getters, right? They're, they're creators. And what you're left with is a team that is far from what you would expect um, to have a shot to win MLS Cup from the team that took the field and lost in Philadelphia in the Eastern Conference final only what four months ago that's a that's probably the major storyline in terms of losing players I'm not sure I could you know imagine a team losing more of their you know important players over the course of what three four months and NYCFC Andres I, I guess I'm not shocked by it because in you know their individual moves it kind of all makes sense but collectively have you been surprised by the amount of turnover has taken place in NYCFC? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think for me, this is this is the story of the offseason uh, from a team perspective. Um, number one, because, you know, this is a team that won MLS Cup two years ago, Eastern Conference Final last year, uh, best regular season record of the last five uh, seasons. And... We talked about it near the end when we did our post-mortem after the, the East Final last year about all the guys that they had up for, for re-upping uh, either loans or contracts uh, and how big of an off-season it was going to be. We mentioned all those names, Sean John, Collins, Santi, Maxi, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think, I mean, we knew some of them were, were probably in danger of being gone. But I wasn't expecting them all to be gone. They didn't keep a single one of them. Not a single one of the names that you thought, okay, they're going to have to make a decision here, um, is still around. Tinner Home is gone. Uh, you know, if you go back to the summer, Tati's gone. Uh, Maxi's their leading, you know, minutes, assist, basically everything player. He's gone. Sean John is gone. I mean, it is a total uh, rebuild or a total destruction of what has been a really good team for the last three years. And I'm not sure that they've brought in all the reinforcements that they need, or I'm sure they haven't brought in all the reinforcements that they need. So as we always mention, City Football Group has a scouting network um, that goes way beyond what most MLS clubs can can reach. They're going to need to use every every bit of it. Um, and it remains to be see, seen where NYCFC goes, especially this first you know, four or five months. But yeah, to answer your question bluntly, yeah, I'm pretty surprised that uh, that much t- turnover was allowed to happen. I'm, I'm kind of interested in this. I, you know, maybe I'm falling into my, my extra time listener ways. Um, so I've been going through and trying to determine what, what uh, at the end of the season, where do I expect everybody to kind of be? What range am I, am I comfortable with putting them in? Um, and NYCFC, I could see missing the playoffs. And I don't know if I have ever thought that that was going to be the case. And it's, it's truly just because I need to see uh, Nick Cushing put his stamp on this team now. And there were a lot of questions that we had about that, about that entire coaching staff after um, uh, Ronnie Dyla left. So it's, there is so much up in the air. There's obviously still a ton of talent. I love Talos Magno. I love Keaton Parks. And I think that there is still a good base to build on between Chanel and Tiago. But it's, it's concerning. I, what, what do you guys think would, would be the over-under? Where, where do you think you could see this team ending up? Um, anywhere between... Six or seven, which would be sneaking into the playoffs. And then, I mean, 10, 11, 12. Like, 
because they have no depth, right? The, the great thing about this team is that when Chano went down for a large part of last season, you know, they were able to put in Alexander Kayans and Tiago Martins, two very, very, very talented center backs, two of the best in the league, right? And that's when Chano, who's your leader, one of your starters, goes down. Um, when Tati left, they were basically able to reshuffle, keep, you know, Keaton Parks in, in the midfield. I think Justin Hawk played a good amount of minutes in there too. You know, Alfredo Morales played in there as well. And then just switch. Tyus Magno can go up top. You know, you can have Maxi, Santi Rodriguez, Tiago Andrade, and you're still, you know, you're still running strong. They have no depth now because all of those players, basically half the players are named, are gone. So you're left with kind of this weird predicament where can you start a pretty talented, probably a playoff-worthy starting 11? Yeah, you probably can. Can you, you know, put, you know, even make five subs that I think are playoff quality? No, I don't think you can. So if any one of those guys goes down, particularly their, their, their Tyus Magno, right, I, obviously Keaton Parks, Maxime Cheneau, or Thiago Martins, either center back, you're staring at a really, really tough situation for this team where players that I think we don't know too much about are going to have to step up and make big plays. And so that's where Cushing has to really, like you said, Matt, make his stamp on this team and turn this team into something, like I said earlier, greater than the sum of its parts. Andres, can I ask you a different question? Okay. Who finishes higher between the two New York sides? Um, I think it's still NYCFC. Um, the reason I say that is because I think as it stands now, the high-end talent on the NYCFC roster is still, you know, pretty much at the top of the league. When you're talking about Magno, um, Andrade, um, you know, even even guys like Keaton Parks, uh, Alfredo Morales, these are these are good players. Um, with Gabby Pereira, and I think City Football Group will bring in players that we haven't heard about, you know, ever. Um, and we'll, they'll bring them in whether it's towards the beginning of the season or in the summer. Um, and th- that's just more of an ambitious group than than Red Bull. And I think Red Bull has its own question. We'll we'll get into them. Uh, I think now and talk about Aaron Long. Um, but I think NYC has shown that they can pull together the type of team. Uh, that will eventually, you know, jump them ahead of still at this point, but definitely their margin for error, like like Joey said, with their with their death, as it stands right now, is is quite small. Um, and I think he's right. I think right now you couldn't count on even three subs that you you'd be confident in uh, at this point. So I think they'll do the work over the next couple of months to get them over the top, but it's a, more of an open question than it has been. And if you want, you can kind of just delve right into the, like we said, the red side of New York because Aaron Long is gone and he's their captain. He was their leader. It's almost like a new era um, in all of New York. Do you want to touch on the uh, the Red Bull New York side of it? Yeah, sure. Sorry, I was uh, I was muted. Um, yeah, so I think Red Bulls made a couple moves that I think are are probably pretty smart in terms of. Uh, they they kept Elias Manuel um, and they brought in Corey Burke, which was probably the best or one of the best subs uh, in MLS last year. Uh, they've they've brought in Kyle Duncan again for the season, so I think they've they've solidified some of those positions. Um, obviously, uh, losing Aaron Long is a big deal, although remains to be seen. I'm not sure how. Let's say I don't think he was at the same level last year as he was prior to the injury. Now he he may be still coming back from that, but but he was clearly a best eleven center back in MLS before getting hurt. Um, I think he's still uh, clearly an MLS starting center back, but maybe not at the same level. Um, you know, you lose Patrick Lamalo, they they finally were able to move on from him. They I think they're going to make at least another move or two to replace. You know his his spot on the roster so far it's been an okay despite losing long uh transfer window uh but you you remain with the same problem that red bulls had since what four or five years a solid core a pretty good uh overall roster just lacking that one or two 
difference makers that gets you over the top. I think right now you'd have to say Lewis Morgan and Luquinhas are their best bet for that. Um, and that's, you know, not exactly Lucho Acosta and, and Brandon Vasquez. At least not right now it isn't. So, um, well, I got, yeah, I got some good news on that front. What's that? I got some good news on that front because they did actually go ahead and bring in a new DP striker. Red Bull did. They brought in, yeah, Red Bull did. Oh, uh, Von Dante Deer. Von Deer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, from Union right. SG. 70 goals and 26 assists is what I'm seeing in uh, 157 Belgium, matches right? in the Belgian Pro League. Yeah. yeah. So okay. I, I think that we have been asking and asking and asking Red Bull to bring in that that type of player. So I, I'm hoping, do you, do you, does this change? Does this move the needle for you for them? It helps, and it helps with their striker depth, right? So now you say Von Zier, um and then Manuel and, Bort and Burke. It's a much, it's a much deeper uh, striker group than they've had previously. I think last year they weren't even playing with a striker, right? They had um, all sorts of of different lineups where they were trying to play with false nines. Um, so at yeah. least at, at least here they're gonna they're gonna play with clear strikers. Um, should help, yeah. And is, and if you can get turnovers and crosses into a, a consistent goal, goal scorer, um, I don't know a ton about Van Zier. Um, Belgium, you know, not the strongest league, uh, but you know, if he's consistently scoring in Europe, uh, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to consistently score in this league. Um, yeah, could be a good, could be a good move, and could be what we will be we've been waiting for from Red Bull. Yeah, I think. From for the the handful of Red Bull fans that I know, the one thing that they're happy seeing is that it's it's an effort. The Red Bulls is actually going out and trying a a win now type signing, and I I, I think that people think that that's what Klamala was, but it just never quite clicked. So I'm I'm really hoping for for Red Bull fans' sake that uh, Vencer is a solid solid player, but. The nice thing is they do still also have Corey Burke on bench, who, just like you said, absolute best sub, at very least in the East last season. Like, I, I think, and he obviously knows a, a good high-energy system. Yeah, uh, and f finishing up on Red Bull, um, Van Zier says that he's 5'9", right? Shorter striker, probably smaller build, probably, you know, more of that kind of, if I'm going to compare it to the, the Union, kind of the Mikel Aura to, you know, Manuel or Burks, you know, Julian Carranza, kind of that, the big, small duo that can kind of get the job done. I will be interested to see if that's how they play it, or if, you know, on the games where Van Zier can't go, if they go Burke and Manuel, go two big, big strikers up there, target strikers, and, and kind of let Lewis Morgan and Lukinas roam underneath, because I do agree that Morgan and Lukinas are going to have to be those two creators. I think what they've been missing, I don't think this is a hot take, has been consistent goal scoring from a number nine. Now they seem to have three. What are you going to be able to do with that? Um, because even situations that have, you know, talented strikers can be mismanaged and you can't get the best out of all of them. So I think it, it'll a lot of it will come down to Gerhard Struber. How can he manage these guys and produce the best possible output on the field? Because... Now there's kind of no excuses, right? You fail with Klamala, right? That That's done now. Now you have Van Zier. Now you have Manuel back for another season. Now you have in Corey Burke. I think if this experiment doesn't work, I think it's not those guys who are going to take the fall. It's going to be Gerhard Struber. But that's my thoughts on, the, uh, on Red Bulls. I think, you know, touching on the fact that Corey Burke did come from Philly, that Red Bull and Philly are so similar in style, and that's probably why he made that move. I think the Union this season have, I think, a lot to look forward to, given the fact that they are returning so, so many of those minutes getters from last season, losing really only Corey Burke and Paxson Aronson. Uh, obviously, Paxson Aronson going over to Frankfurt and that, that you know, European move that's kind of been rumored for a long time for him and happy for him that he, you know, finally got the job done and is able to go over and, you know, test his, you know, test his chops in Germany. But... The Union lose basically no one out of that, you know, so, so close to an MLS Cup side, uh, Cup champion side. What can they do with all those guys coming back? Somehow they kept Kai Wagner, right? This is a team that is 
so strikingly similar to last season. Matt, how do you think it's going to play out um, this year? Because this is a team that you know, almost wire-to-wire last season was one of the top teams in the East, one of the top teams in MLS. Do you think they can repeat? Joey, just for, for, your, uh, for your sake, I'm going to go ahead and knock on some wood because this Philadelphia team is at least one trophy this season. That is what they are built for. Uh, this is, we've talked about the fact that there is uh, not a lot of depth in several of the teams that we've talked about. Philly is the exact opposite. They went out and did what LAFC did last offseason. They went through other Major League Soccer teams, found players that were either not getting the playing time they wanted, not uh, in a system that particularly worked for them. I am so incredibly high on this Philadelphia Union team, uh, and I, I truly would be shocked if there's anything other than an appearance in MLS Cup and either winning or, like, five points, no more off of supporter shield. The only thing that they've got to, you know, kind of worry about is they've got CCL this season and that, that splits your attention, but I love this team. Truthfully. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Hey, I'll knock on all that wood. If we can get a trophy, that'll be absolutely phenomenal. Cause the Eastern conference trophy is fine, but you know, I, I have higher aspirations. So Andres, what do yeah, you think? So I remember, 2021, after Columbus won MLS Cup, coming into the season thinking they were absolutely stacked and ready to make a, a big run at CCL and Supporter Shield, and they fell completely flat on their face. Um, this Philadelphia team is basically as stacked in terms of returning minutes and players, but I think there's there's a couple key differences, um, which has me more confident in in that viewpoint that this should be um, probably the best team in MLS this year. One is the track record is super consistent. Uh, basically, every year has been slightly better than the previous for the last like, four in a row. Um, and they've shown no signs of, you know, resting on laurels and taking a step back. Every year has been consistently better. Two is basically what we've been talking about. Um, unlike previous off-seasons, um, I think the vast majority of the teams around them, um, rather than get better, I think they've gotten worse. Montreal, I think, is worse. NYC, we've talked about, I think, is worse. Um, Atlanta is going through a bit of a rebuild. Um, Orlando is going through a bit of a rebuild. Uh, so the teams that are, you know, that you would say, okay, these are the teams that might contend with them um, in the East are, I think, not as strong as they were last year um and then on top of that you you add in an andres Pereira who wasn't getting a ton of minutes in orlando but he's a good midfield death piece to spell um ali bedoya uh to keep him um healthy and and fresh for for the end of the season you bring in a damien Lowe, uh who was a starting center back for a playoff team last year to be your third uh center back um, and yeah, you lose Paxton Harrison, who didn't play a ton, um, and Corey Burke, who was uh, a very good, as we mentioned, sub, uh, but wasn't wasn't getting huge minutes. So I think uh, Philadelphia is primed uh, for a, a huge season. Um, and I think, like you mentioned, anything less than at least one trophy. Um, and I have them as favorites for Supporter Shield. Um, anything other than that, I think you're disappointed because everything's pointing in the right direction for them. Yeah, I would certainly be disappointed if they didn't, you know, get a trophy, you know. And and last season, they didn't try for U.S. Open Cup. They feel, they feel a kind of a second squad at Orlando in the round of 32, which is their first round in, and lost. So I'm not going to exactly say that that was a trophy that was ever in contention last year, but if they wanted it to be last year, and certainly if they want it to be this year, it could very much be theirs for the taking because you really don't need that much to go far in that tournament. And you mentioned some of the new signings. Pereira, great depth piece for the midfield, right? He, he can play that eight. Heck, he can play that six. You got Jose Martinez. You have Jack McGlynn back in for another year. Um, 
all those guys can play in the midfield. Richard Odada, who was a new signing last year, who didn't, you know, see the field because of that, you know, I think it was a late summer signing, so just never really had his opportunity to break in. Uh, came to the inbox today that uh, Abasa Arameo has ter- terminated his contract, so we'll never get to see him for the first team. But, you know, we're talking about Union going five, six deep, the complete antithesis of NYCFC. And even in the back, you, you want a team to watch for U.S. Youth National Team side of the things. Brandon Craig started in the three back uh, in their friendly against the Revolution this past weekend with Elliot and Glesnes. Who knows? Maybe Damian Lowe isn't the the third center back. Maybe Damian Lowe is the fourth center back because Brandon Craig, the youngster, is going to come in and, and see some significant minutes. I was going to ask you, Joey. The possibilities are endless for the union. I was going to ask you. Uh, we, we had a, a question from MCB in the Scuff Discord. Uh you know, asking about how do we grade teams for USMNT interest. And I'm, I'm kind of interested to see, to hear who out of that, you know, Quinn Sullivan, Leon Flock, Jack McGlynn, uh, and Brandon Craig group. And you can probably toss Andres Perea. He's, he's had uh, a couple of caps with the national team. Uh, who is the one who breaks into the senior national team for you next? Uh, I've always been super high on Jack McGlynn. And I think that, you know, the, the physical side of it's always been his thing. I think that'll continue to come along. I think if that development continues along a, a, an upward trajectory, he's going to be that guy. Though, I've not seen too many passers of the ball like Brandon Craig, you know, on the, on the you know, any part of the field for the USYNT, like the performance that he put out in Costa Rica last summer with uh, the U-20 CONCACAF championship. He can absolutely ping the ball. They literally had him as the tallest player on the field taking corner kicks because that's how good at serving the ball he is. So um, if he's able to use that passing to his advantage and continue to get more you know, defensively strong, I think McGlynn and Craig are really the guys you're looking at from this union side to break into the national team. And even though Paxson Aronson played um, with the men, uh, men's national team uh, this past January and January camp, when it comes to long-term impact, I honestly expect more out of McGlynn and Craig just because I think their technical ability is some of the most incredible that I've seen with the na- uh, the youth national team, and I, I really hope it translates. Uh, Andres, thoughts on that and, and, and thoughts as we continue uh, along this kind of Eastern Conference tra- trajectory, uh, teams that could have a shot at challenging the Union for Eastern it's Conference a, it, glory. Those are good points that you made, and, and that, that point about the three-five-two. I think is really interesting because, um, as you mentioned, I forgot Brandon Craig. Yeah, you're right. He started in that in that preseason match three five two, and now with that four center backs, you can even rotate them um, if you want to play in that system. It also helps to to get Kai Wagner uh, further up the field. Somehow they he's still in Philadelphia, and there it seems like he's going to be there for for a while more. Um, that's you know obviously a huge get for Philadelphia to be able to keep him. Um, and I forgot to mention Joaquin Torres. As, a, as the other signing that, you know, adds that additional spark to dribble plat, pat, by guys um, and create opportunities where maybe um, some of the guys that they've had recently, that's not really their strong suit. So, yeah, I think we, we, we're all kind of in agreement. Super, super deep. Um, the floor is really high. The ceiling is really high. Um, really high expectations. We were talking a little bit uh, beforehand about who could challenge and one of the teams that was brought up was Orlando um, which I think is an interesting shout because they're going through a little bit of a of a rebuild as well Junior Orso is um, is gone um, unfortunately because um, I think he was a fun player to watch and and he ended up playing further up the field last year which is a nice wrinkle for Oscar Pereja um, they've brought in um, a Forward from I think it's Argentina or Uruguay, Martin Ojeda is from Argentina. I think they have pretty high um, hopes for him uh, to add to their to their attack. But you know you've lost Jao Moutinho, um, Tesho is out after after a couple of years there. They brought Pereira back in. So for me, it's kind of a flux team that's been pretty good. Um, maybe a dark horse contender to Philadelphia. I don't see them quite at the, at that level. Um, but should be contending in that top three or four spots. Uh, what do you guys think about Orlando? Orlando's the one for me. Like, they are very solidly in that, like, 
could finish between one or first to fourth for me. Uh, and I, I think it really comes down to the fact that I'm very optimistic about those big, big name signings. I think Ojeda and Enrique are, are both going to have significant impact. I think another year with Facundo Torres and, and unless he gets, you know, linked to Arsenal for the 30th time or something, uh, there is a lot to like about this team. My only concern is can their their center backs hold up? Uh, and and really, it's it's Jansen. Can he stay healthy? Uh, Carlos, can he stay on the field? The two of them, when they're together, are very very solid. But behind them, you have um, Ricardo Schlegel, who love him for for all of his antics, but can be taken advantage of at times, uh, specifically in one-on-one defending. So, uh, but, you know, Cesar Raujo, I think, can really, really hold down a good deal of that six role. Cartagena can be a very, very good um, connecting piece to that just ridiculously talented forward line. And I think that there's a lot to be really, really excited for for Orlando fans. Yeah, I think the... If anything goes wrong, it won't probably be the starters. It'll be that defensive depth. And we saw them kind of, you know, fight their way through last year. They were lucky that really um, they were able to just, you know, keep one of, you know, Schlegel or Carlos and have Carlos kind of come back towards the end. Like they, they were able to kind of tread water and, and Rodrigo Schlegel, um, you know, played well enough that they made it to the playoffs and they lost in the first, like they, they did an all right job this year. I think if one of them goes down because you don't have guys like Jao Matinho, who's, you know, one of, one of the better left backs in the league, especially attacking wise, but could do, could do it both ways. And, and you lose, you know, uh, some of that extra depth and some of that extra protection. You start to like an NYCFC situation, start to kind of turn negative and be like, hey, what's going to go on now that these guys are gone? Um, I, I think it provides a little bit more to be nervous about if you're an Orlando fan. But besides that, and that's kind of a region of itself, they are really the same team as last year. And I think you, you look at even some of those guys that you, they brought in, um, Dagger Dan, uh, to, to make impacts. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, Felipe Martins as well bring him in we'll we'll see the uh the impact those guys are able to make if there's one team i'm nervous about as a union fan it's probably orlando so you know i guess we'll see what they can do and as a union fan cross my fingers that it's not quite good what if we uh add just like a particular uh argentine number 10 to a, a slightly different side of florida would that make the east a little bit more nervous for you uh i mean i'd say a considerable degree yeah uh <laughs> Imagine, imagine if Messi goes to Orlando of all teams. Anyways, um, that's kind of all that we have on Orlando because, like, like the Union, you kind of reiterate the same pieces that we talked about last year. What can Faku do? What can you know Ergenkara do? You know some of those guys, and obviously, when healthy, which you know wasn't that often last year, Antonio Carlos is one of those guys who you know, in, in terms of defenders in MLS one of the guys you really, really don't want to see lining up against you. So I think his impact might be one of the greater ones on Orlando and certainly won't and can't, I don't think, be overstated now as to how I see them because they didn't have him last year. They struggled at times. They still won the Open Cup. What can they be with him this year? Uh, I think it could be even better than last year. Uh, Andres, Thoughts on uh, Orlando, and if you want to touch on one more story, I think it just makes sense to continue down I-4 yeah, all so the way to Miami. I think Orlando, we've, we've pretty much covered. Uh, Miami's, you know, it's an interesting one. It's We're going to see how they incorporate Leo Campana with Joseph. Um, I think that's, that's a, a group of strikers that doesn't really fit well together. Um even last year when they tried to play with, with Gonzalo Iwain and Campana, um, it wasn't really the, the best fit. I'm surprised uh, really by the move to go after to go after Joseph um, and, and put them together considering that Campana's are already there. 
Um, and I think with Miami, it remains to be seen what, what happens with that number 10 role. Is Pizarro actually going to be there? Because he's technically still on a DP contract, as far as I remember. Um, Pozuelo's out. I think they were interested in bringing him back. But so far, nothing's nothing's been done. Um, so I think Miami's one of those teams where the jury's out on what that roster is going to look like. Um, and for me, on what Joseph is going to look like um, in that team. So right now, I think they've taken a small step back from where they were at the end of last year. Um, but that that can be changed, definitely, depending on how they integrate those pieces and what they do with the number 10 spot. But big question mark still. I think maybe I'm just a little bit high on this Miami side. And, and I, you're 100% right. Like the idea of Joseph in a two-striker system does not make a ton of sense to me. Um, but I just keep on thinking of the potential. If somebody can... It, it, the the absolute like quintessential Joseph moment is when he is working off of a more mobile number ten or winger or or whoever that could be, uh, like he did with Mickey. That was his best case situation. So I'm very interested to see if if quarantine if if Campania who is going to be able to step up and really really supply him that kind of service um, or is part of this whole process him becoming a super sub. And I think that that is such a dangerous way to be able to utilize Joseph 100% because he absolutely can be a killer. You just have to make sure that you're still, you know, maintaining the, those relationships and all of that. Um, I do think that they got stronger defensively as well. Uh, I think that the Ukrainian center back that they pulled in from Shakhtar Donetsk uh, is going to be a step up on Damian Lowe, uh, though obviously uh, an older player, new to the league, it's going to take some time. Um, Drake Callender was a very, very solid goalkeeper for them. And I'm really interested. This is the other uh, U.S. youth national team shout-out. Uh, Benjamin Kramoshki. Uh, he's He was actually called into the Argentine uh, youth national team, I believe, but did not end up making the final roster. So there's a ton of talent, obviously, and so somebody to keep an eye on. Yeah, Dual Nat got called in with the uh, Argentine U20s. You know, didn't play. Thankfully, I think that uh, his eligibility is still undecided. Talk. I thought you were going to go with Noah Allen too, the 18 year old outside back. I think he's also interesting, and we'll see more of the field this year than he did last year. Yeah, it's a lot of the same pieces as last year. You add in Joseph Martinez. Yeah, and I think the real question is a healthy Joseph Martinez or a not so healthy Joseph Martinez? Because we saw in our, in Atlanta that when Joseph Martinez was healthy and vibing, they were very good, and and they you know were a significantly improved side compared to when Joseph was you know hobbling out there. Might might still put in a good shift, but wasn't anywhere near 100. percent If he can get back to his you know not even Joseph from a couple years ago, but just the Joseph of you know, 100% healthy last year, Atlanta, you know, I think that can be a, a, a that can lead to a quite solid attack because you bring back Campania too, who's only 22 and was lighting it up last year for stretches. And obviously guys like Robbie Robinson, Ariel Lasseter, guys who can also contribute in the attack. I think that'll be a lot of fun to see. And you keep Gregory, you know, the, your stud, your captain from last year, the rock of, you know, defensive midfield that really snuffed out a lot of opponents' attacks. You put all that together, I think you have a playoff team. And I think that's something that coming into last year, Inter-Miami fans would have, you know, said, hey, if we can get ourselves in a position where we can be contending for playoffs at the end of this year, and then next year, you know, have a team, I think, before the season, we can identify as one of the better sides in the Eastern Conference. I think they take that and they run with it. So that's kind of all I have on Inter-Miami. Matt, unless you have anything more, it's been a crazy whirlwind pod. I think we can wrap it up right here. We'll be back next week, probably touch on some of the sides that we are a little less optimistic about in the Eastern Conference. Start to transition to the West as we try and give a full you know, glimpse of the league before opening day hits on February the 25th. That is coming up mighty fast. We'll have two more pods before then. But boy, this was a crazy last hour, and I think we're going to do that again probably next week. The season can't come soon enough because when the season comes, I think it'll even slow down a little bit because of how much we have to get through over these next couple weeks. So thank you, Matt, so much. Thank you, Andres, as well. 
for coming back for yet another year and for doing the pod with me. I really, really appreciate it. From all of us here, enjoy life. Enjoy the beautiful game. We'll see you next week. MLS is almost back.